coming up. You live and die by what you do. You reap what you sow. You see what I'm saying? So I always believe that, you understand, saying that no matter how difficult this thing has become, one day I will be standing where I'm standing right now. And I ain't never gave up that hope. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Yes, so that is Ashley Long, and that is Ronnie standing there with him. What we missed just a second ago was a big hug as he walked out from those prison gates. He is dressed to the nines. You can see he is in a suit, and that is his wife, Ashley. I don't know if you can tell, her car is decorated with free Ronnie Long. She has been his biggest champion for the last few years. It is truly incredible to be here, to see this man who's been behind bars for 44 years, a Concord man who all along insisted he was innocent, the state court, Yesterday filed a motion to vacate his conviction. Today they made it happen and he is a free man. Last year, Ronnie Long walked out of a North Carolina prison a free man. And they will never ever, never, ever, ever lock me up again. When I talked to you earlier this afternoon, you were still in disbelief. How are you feeling? <laughs> yes, oh, it's real. This is real. See, this is real. See, that's over there. I love that over there. This is real right here. For real. Hey, look, and uh, I'm going to try to enjoy every minute of it. Convicted of rape in 1976, Long spent 44 years behind bars, always proclaiming his innocence. And you said you never lost hope in all this time. You said you never lost hope. How did you manage to do that? Because, you understand, know I felt it though. I couldn't give up because if I gave up, you understand, know I give out. If I give out, yeah. it's over with. Yeah. So I couldn't do that there, you understand. Know right. Believe in it, you got to have faith in something. You keep that hope because I felt it the one day, one day, you're going to send me a God sent. You know what I mean? Yes. going to send me somebody, you understand, saying? And we're going to make it happen. Yeah. I'm joined by Michelle Bowden, senior reporter at WCNC in Charlotte, North Carolina, who's gotten to know Ronnie Long in recent years, before he was exonerated, when he was still behind bars, and of course, since then. Michelle, tell me about the original rape case for which he was convicted back in 1976. So essentially, this was um, a widow, a very prominent widow. Her husband had run um, some of the big factories in town. So she was well-known. She was a white woman who said that she'd been raped by a black man. Um, And really, the linchpin in this case, it came down to um, officers actually brought her to the courthouse in a disguise on a day they knew Ronnie Long would be there for, some would say, a, a frivolous crime that he was set up for, literally like trespassing in a park. But they knew that Ronnie Long would be in the courtroom that day, so they brought her in a disguise so that nobody would recognize her. And they said, do you see anyone that looks like it could be your attacker? I mean, this is one of those IDs that people have studied over the years. And she said, the only person that basically looks like my attacker, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she pointed out Ronnie Long. There were not that many black men in the courtroom that day, not that many of his age. So many people say that victim ID is where this case you know, began and ended in, in falling apart. But the reason they even pinned him as a suspect is suspect in and of itself. He was living in D.C. at the time, um, or he had been living in D.C. briefly. He went from Concord to D.C., was living there for just a, not too many, I guess just a few months. Um, and there was a crime in an apartment complex that he lived in, and his ID had been found on the floor where this woman had been raped. But at the time the woman was raped, the, the actual suspect in that case was fleeing, and people chased that suspect. And police there had found this ID that belonged to Ronnie Long. And so they called Concord Police just to get some information and see, is he a potential suspect? But they very quickly, the D.C. police almost immediately ruled Ronnie Long out as a suspect in that case. But Concord Police sort of 
just use that as a peg to go after him. And that was it. There was no turning back. They never looked at anyone else in the case. Uh, they shouldn't have looked at him in the first place, most people will tell you, but that was literally the only reason anyone can think as to why they honed in on Ronnie Long in this case. So Ronnie Long was then convicted and sent to prison. Tell us what happened. Again, this happened back in 1976. Uh, if you think back to 1976, particularly in the South and in that town in particular, racial tensions were very high. The KKK was active, and Ronnie Long's dad was pretty active in the black community. So his name was on a lot of people's radar. Um, and a lot of people say that's part of the reason that he ended up being the suspect in this case and ultimately convicted. All kinds of issues with the case from the get-go to the point where police officers literally hid evidence. They lied on the stand. Uh, they worked together to handpick a jury, an all-white jury, to hear his case. There were even issues with the quote-unquote victim ID, the victim picking him out. So all kinds of issues from the get-go. But it was 1976. He was just 21 years old. He'd been an athlete through high school, very popular um, but that's the day that he was convicted. And there are actually riots in Concord the day that he was convicted. And, you know, it's clear that the racial tensions that happened then and were really responsible for this man losing 44 years in his life, many of them still exist today. And I think we have to take a look back to figure out where we're going and how to fix things in the future. And this case is just a perfect example of that. Incidents like this, you understand, saying could be avoided. But if you see uh, injustice, being done to somebody. Yes, sir. You, if you don't believe, you understand, saying, at least speak out against it. Yeah. 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 If you don't speak out against it, you understand, saying, then do what you need to do to diligently to try to overcome that. <laughs> if you don't do that, then hate it. Hate it with all your heart. Hate what they've been done. Hate what they done did. You understand, saying, with all your heart. So this very young man is convicted and sent to prison and what happens in 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 years right after that, if anything, or does it take much longer for anything to go anywhere? He was convicted. He was 21 years old. He spent just a lot of time in prison, always maintained his innocence. Uh, and there was appeal after appeal over the years, but not a lot of traction. Um, it really wasn't until the last sort of 10 or 20 years or so that things started to shake loose. 2005 is when they requested... Um, the medical records in the case, and that's when they discovered that there had actually been a rape kit done that his team never knew about, and that rape kit had vanished. Um, and, it, you know, even the officer later admitted that he didn't think there was any reason to do anything or even get that rape kit test. Now, we should be clear, in 1970s, they didn't have DNA testing, but you can use a rape kit to determine someone's blood type, and that could have potentially ruled him out as a suspect. So even regardless, the fact that there were these medical records and a rape kit that just literally vanished, that was problem number one. And then also that same detective, we realized there were hair and fiber samples that did not match Ronnie Long, and that evidence also was withheld. His team never knew about that evidence. So then all these appeals are going on, going on. And then in 2015, so we're fast forwarding now another decade. Imagine this man is still sitting behind bars. Another decade goes by and 43 fingerprints suddenly turn up. None of them match Ronnie. Those fingerprints were taken from the scene, and they all ruled Ronnie Long out as a suspect. So that's when things really started to kick into high gear, 2015. And then it was 2020, finally, um, when three judges in an appeals court heard his case, and one judge was so strongly saying that he deserved an appeal that they finally decided to send it to the full appeals court where the, all of the judges, 15 judges, would hear his case. When did this case come to your attention? You followed it and reported on it really closely for, for years now, right? 
many years before I even got there. So I've been in Charlotte now for 14 years. And so there was a reporter covering it decades ago, and he continued on working on it. And then I probably helped out on it over the last 10 years and then really picked up on it in the last two, three years. When you first started talking to him, where were things in the appeals process? So when I first started talking to him, it was 2020. So at that point, he'd been in prison for 40-plus years, um, and they were hoping that the courts, the first round of courts, were going to hear his appeal. It seemed like it was possible, but there were, he'd been turned down so many times. So it seemed like things were on the precipice, and that's why I really I remember pushing my news director and the management of the newsroom, like, let me go behind bars. Let me go. It was not easy. The state didn't want to make it happen. They wouldn't even let us bring cameras in. I had to bring um, a sketch artist and a tape recorder, you know, old school to do the interview. But it seemed like things might be turning the corner then. Um, and that was February of 2020. Did he express some degree of hope at that time, or was he just, I mean, beaten down by decades? That's the thing that has stayed with me and has resonated for so many times. He has always been incredibly gracious. I mean, I think about, had I been in prison for one day in jail, for one day wrongfully, I'd be angry, and I feel like I'd be so filled with anger. He was so filled with hope and grace and faith. He does have a very strong faith. The only time I've ever heard him get really, really angry was most recently, you know, after he's finally been released from prison and, you know, he's finally been pardoned, which that took longer than it should. Um, he finally got paid, and it sort of dawned on him that the amount of money that he got didn't seem fair. And that's the only time I've heard him angry through this process. He has hung on to hope in a way that, that almost seems impossible. In all the times we've interviewed Ronnie Long, rarely have I heard him this frustrated, this angry, saying the amount of money he got is not nearly enough for all that he lost. Ronnie Long is still fighting. North Carolina intensely put me in the penitentiary. And you tell me still $150,000? It was 44 years of my life. You put me in the penitentiary for 44 years. You destroy evidence. You lose evidence. You tamper with a jury and everything about the trial with a mock. And it laws vary by state, so I don't know them all, but in state in North Carolina, the law is you get $50,000 a year, but they cap it at $750,000. So essentially, you do the math, and two-thirds of the time that he spent behind bars, he didn't get anything for. You know, he does not have a lot of money. $750,000 may seem like a big sum when you hear just that sum. When you think about 44 years that was taken away from you, wrongfully convicted, uh, that he started to get angry. And so now I think, you know, he and his wife, and there's a concerted effort and really a movement. So many people have heard the story locally and nationally are angry for him. There seems to be a push now to potentially change that law. Will it impact Ronnie Long? No, not likely. He lost both his father and his mother while he was in prison. He, his mother died just weeks before he was released from prison. I mean, his last hope was that he was going to get to see his mom alive. The very last thing she said before she died, is Ronnie home? Is Ronnie out? She would ask every day, and literally the last thing she said was, is Ronnie home? From here, where does Ronnie Long go? You've alluded to it a little bit. He's starting to do all those things that we have take for granted, uh, a driver's license or credit cards, things like that. But he's just looking forward to the remaining years of his life, I imagine. Uh, it, 
literally. I mean, the basic stuff. I remember the first um, in-person interview that we did. You know, obviously he was released from prison. We were there that day and we did the interviews. But we did a, a formal sit-down with him a couple weeks later when he finally had a chance to sort of adjust to actually being out. And at that point, he still is having trouble sleeping because it's a whole new environment. But he, that day, I remember him saying all he wanted to do was try Haagen-Dazs ice cream. He kept seeing commercials on TV while he was in prison for this Haagen-Dazs ice cream. And he was just desperate to try it. Because think about even your meal choices are someone else is making them for you. So just the basics of living life. He'll listen. He can't believe that you can play music on a cell phone while you're driving down the road. He'll send me like little videos that his wife has filmed in the car of them just driving down the road listening to music that he loves. He, you know, they roll down the windows and he's excited. They've rescued a couple of dogs. He said he wasn't a dog guy. All of a sudden he's a dog person now. They go for bike rides. He's lost weight. He's healthy. He's eating healthy. He is truly like sort of the definition of he's been given this second chance and he's trying to live his life. Um, and I think, you know, he got the car of his dreams. A local dealership gave him a deal and they just found a house. Um, so I think it's just a matter of him enjoying the days that he has now. What does freedom feel like for you? Hey. Beautiful, beautiful, because number one, you understand, if you've been in a position that I've been in for the last 44 years, you come to a situation like this, and you can't do but accept that. Cherish it for what it is. You're looking around. Are you noticing the trees and the breeze? <laughs> or do things like that? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in the joint, you don't get this close to no tree line. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I mean, just the, the the environment, the people, the car, the everyday life. You understand? Know saying it's an experience, especially for a person like me. Thanks for listening to the Daily Crime. We're here every weekday, Monday through Friday, with new episodes. Be sure to let your friends and family know about the Daily Crime. We'll see you next time for Vault Studios. I'm Will Johnson.